Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Mindset Marketing Money. And I am here with my good friend, Ed Marshall. Hello, Ed. Good afternoon, Jed. Great to be back with you on another episode. And it's a Friday afternoon for those of you who are listening in. It is. And it's we've a- had a very, very productive week. We've had a very productive, we've worked very hard, haven't we? We just keep telling ourselves that, right? We've worked really, really hard. <laughs> you know what? This is all about the positive mindset because I come into the week with a weekly planner with everything kind of mapped out, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. These are the essential goals that have to be accomplished on all of those days. And by being able to stick to that kind of regime, having my focus days when I'm really focused on business opportunities and the buffer days, which are my days that are protected to be able to sweep up all the other stuff and all the other messes. You kind of get to a Friday afternoon and everything's sort of close to being done. So we show up ready for today, don't we, Jed? Ready to be no place else. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say that you are one of the most super focused people that I know when it comes to, to things like this. And I guess the nature of your business is that you have to be, but I, I think it was, um, I think it was Jim Rohn, actually the great late Jim Rohn, who, who said that you need to know what you're doing at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of the month and the year. And the way to do that is at the end of the day to plan for the following at the end of the week to plan for the following week and at the end of the year to plan for the following year. And it's just, it is simple. It's so simple. It's just ludicrously obvious. And yet so few people do it, but it does make an enormous difference. I know I kind of, I'm, I'm really bad at this. I dabble with that kind of thing. So I'll do it for a few weeks and go, oh, isn't that great? But then like kind of lose the habit. Um, but uh, I know that you are you know, super focused on this sort of stuff. So yeah, hats off to you, mate. Well, success starts with a list. And if I don't know what I'm doing when I walk into the office on that morning, if I don't already know what my day looks like, then I'm, I'm wasting time. I'm, I'm going to be less productive than I otherwise could be. And there's a lot that needs to be done. So on that basis, I've got to be like as efficient as I can be. And that's because when I go to bed at night, I already know what my following day looks like. When I finish on a Friday afternoon, I know what my following week looks like, just exactly as you've described. And that efficiency that you can get from being super focused, hey, look, none of us here are Superman or Superwoman, okay? There's always going to be stuff that slips through the cracks. We're human at the end of the day. We are not invincible. But if we can minimize those problems and those curveballs by being on our game and by being focused, we're just creating a better life. And when we talk about efficiencies, That really brings us on nicely to our topic for today, which we really want to talk about, which is, Jed, the theory of constraints. The theory of constraints. Oh, yes. This this is a very interesting theory that you probably, most people will be familiar with instinctively, but they just won't necessarily have had it framed as the theory of constraints. This is... um, Well, Jed, I'd love for you to frame this up as you described it for me before, because for everybody listening today... Frame it up so that we can give our listeners a flavor for what they're going to be able to walk away with in 25 minutes' time. Okay, so theory of constraints is really simple to understand. If you imagine a hose pipe and you have water coming into one end of the hose pipe and water coming out of the other. Now, ordinarily, there's the same amount of water that's going in that's coming out. In that situation, you would say that 
the hose pipe is 100% efficient because the same amount of water coming in is going out. But just imagine if you kinked that hose pipe. Inevitably, you would get less water out than would be coming in. And so the overall efficiency of your system would drop. And this is really applicable in, in business. We see all sorts of systems in business where you have an input, there is a process that goes on, and then there is an output. That's actually the essence of a system. But very often, we find that our systems are less efficient than we would want them to be. And what the theory of mm -hmm. constraints does is it helps us identify those areas of a system which are actually problematic and they're causing a drop in efficiency. Because if we can identify those constraints, then if we can get rid of them, then the system suddenly bounces into a, a state of greater efficiency. And for most businesses, that usually results in things like increased profits, which is a very nice, healthy, happy thing to have happen. So, that so actually, we're kind of talking here about bottlenecks, right? I mean, if you've got a bottleneck within a process, within part of your business, I guess that's the kink. But I'm also thinking here, what about the, a hole in the hose pipe as well? Like oh, you've, yeah, got, just, you've got water going in and it's just kind of like it's, it's disappearing out through, through, through numerous leaks along the way. That, that's going to be poor as well. Yeah, that's a, a good example of that actually was communication, which you, you mentioned to me before and it kind of stuck in my mind. And I thought, yeah, do you know what? That is, that is a really good, a good example because very often information comes into us in the form of communication and we then filter it out as human beings are, you know, have to do this because we receive so much information on such a frequent basis. We'd go mad if we actually tried to assimilate it all. So we just filter stuff out. Problem is we end up filtering out some of the stuff that's actually important and critical to the process. And that means that then we build in an inefficiency. Um, and I mean, even, you know, even to the degree where, where sometimes excessive communication can produce inefficiency as, as two people send emails between one another, agreeing and trying to come to a consensus and then confirming that they've agreed something that takes time and that creates inefficiency. So that's an example of, mm -hmm. of where information gets leaked out of systems that could be really useful and the information and the, the system then loses its efficiency. But if you imagine that, that within your business, there is a series of these um, units of, of systems which are operating, they might be finance, they might be communications, they might be building the thing that you build or providing the service that you provide, that, that actually within each one of them, there, there are inefficiencies. But then also when you add them all together, they, there is an overall inefficiency between what you start with and what you end up with. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can imagine this in, in, in marketing terms because this is really applicable in marketing. If you imagine that you have um, a funnel, so your customer um, starts an interaction with you. Well, at this point, they're probably a prospect. So let's say that the first experience they have of you is via something like a Facebook ad. And they okay. may look at that ad, click on it, interact with it in some way, but that advert will take them to a page on your website. We call that a landing page. 
Now, you've stepped out of one mm -hmm. system, which is Facebook, and you've moved into another, which is your website. So now we've got two systems. So your first win has been to kind of, okay, their eyeballs have landed on your adverts on Facebook, or whatever that communication was, and you've been successful enough for them to click to arrive to your website. So that's like massive hurdle and challenge, number one, because I don't know what the typical industry average click rates are, but you got to make the most of every single person that's going to land on your website, right? Yeah, you, you, you're, you're dead right, you know. And what you find is that the, the overall, um, if you like, conversion rates of adverts are actually incredibly low, uh, horrifically low, you know, mm -hmm. so less than a percent would, would, would not be atypical if you aggregate all advertising together. But you start off with, let's say, a thousand people hitting your ad and seeing it, but the number of people that then interact with that ad and then go to the website might only be, let's say, you know, 100. So straight away, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've lost 900 people just to the process, right? So it then becomes important for us as, as marketers to think about then what we can do to minimize that loss because the more people that we can we can get from one stage to the next, the more efficient we are, then the more money we're going to make because the more sales we're going to make. So within, mm -hmm. let's say, your Facebook ad are a whole bunch of constraints. And those constraints may be things like the wording of the ad, the picture that you've used, the headline that you've used. Um, it might be the offer that you have made as well. Uh, and fortunately, um, we have a, a secret um, trick up our sleeves as marketers called split testing, which is where you can try out different types of uh, headline and copy and photos um, on Facebook to see which one works the best. So by testing all of these different variations of advert, you're able to alight on the one which is the most effective. So we're using a specific technique there called a split test to actually improve the overall efficiency of the advert. So now we might find that instead of 100 people that land on the web page, 200 people land on the web page, and we've increased our efficiency by trying to remove one of the constraints, which might have been a really dodgily worded advert or something which didn't quite resonate with now, our I was going to say, so if we're, if we're trying to figure out exactly uh, where all that comes from, I guess there's a whole load of uh, research and knowledge that's, that, that's already out there, i.e. dependent upon what you want the outcome to be, this is going to be a really good way of being able to word the ad. You know, it, it's about being able to communicate effectively. It's not like we're starting from scratch, not knowing what's going to work. But what you are saying is that you could end up with two or three outcomes, which could all stand sort of a pretty equal chance of success. But you don't actually know which is going to be the killer, which is going to be. The, so you can split test those to figure out what makes your ideal client most likely to respond. Exactly right. We, we do have okay. structures to adverts. We do. Uh, any, any copywriter or advertising writer or marketer will know or be familiar with the various different um, approaches that there are. Some are more sophisticated than others. Um, there's, a, there's the very basic, um, tell them what you've got, um, tell them how it's going to help you, them, and tell them what to do next. 
that simple you know three style approach there is an there is another one called um uh, ada or aida depending on how you want to pronounce it which is attention interest desire and action and those are the kind of steps that you have to go through to write the ad um but nobody knows you know you could you, you all sorts of crazy ideas have been tested and it's really strange when you when you you put ideas next to one another um the number of times that you can look at an ad and be really super confident about it or look at the wording and think, wow, this is, this is going to be absolutely fantastic. This is going, everyone's going to love this. And then you, and then you do like a throwaway one, which is one that you just kind of stick together in two seconds. And it's, and it's just almost like, well, I'll just put that up there just because I've got to do a split test and lo and behold, play around with it, have some fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the one that you think is going to bomb wins and the great one that you thought was fabulous bombs. So, and, and this happens, you know, more times than I care to care to admit to, but you know, truthfully, that's, that's sometimes how it is, but all the way through, you're looking at the system and you're saying, okay, what are the actual constraints within that system? So there's other constraints, not just the, not just the copy or the, or the photo, but the other constraints are, let's say the amount of budget that you're able to put at it. Um, very, very often we find that um, the budgets have to start off fairly small and then grow over time as your confidence increases. But if you're starting with a small budget, then inevitably there's going to be fewer people coming into the system and then therefore fewer people coming out of the side. So you're, you're already throttling the system before it's even begun with, with a lower budget. Uh, I'm not advocating yeah. that you that you bet the farm, but budgets are a constraint, so we just have to. You, there is it. a constraint because you you've got a business, and there's a lot of people who will try and do the marketing themselves. They'll have a basic amount of knowledge, and they will have a budget that they've allocated to this. And you're going to go in, and maybe you don't know how to measure the results. Maybe you don't know how to actually communicate to get that likelihood of your potential customers clicking and going through to your landing page, but you sort of spend a lot of time misfiring, if you like, whereas what you need, going right back to the beginning of the episode, you need that focused approach. What is What does the ideal outcome look like? How do I actually know that this was successful? Give me four or five examples of what will occur that will show that this has been successful. And then to know, well, okay, I've got somebody that actually totally gets this. You've effectively created, as Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach would say, an impact filter. You've created an impact filter with what that outcome would look like. And so you've got somebody by your side who says, I can, I can make that a reality. But to make it work, we've got to have a budget. So let's kind of marry what we want the outcome to be with the budget we've got available and then kind of increment it. You can, it's not like you can start off with a, a $50,000 budget, £50,000 budget, whatever it might be, but you could start off with a £500 budget because it's part of a plan because you know you're going to go from 500 to 1,000 to 2,000 or whatever it might be. But if you haven't got somebody working with you that's going to help you articulate that and work to the plan, you're going to carry on misfiring. You'll spend a bit here, you'll spend a bit there and never achieve anything. Yeah, this is, this is really true. And the number of times that, that you can see advertisers just pulling back on their advertising just at the moment before they hit gold they will have invested a whole load of money and and you have to go with it you <laughs> this sounds this, this sounds very unscientific because it is a little bit but 
when you start with your advertising, it starts off incredibly inefficiently. There's, a, there's all these constraints that sit around, around advertising. Um, and you don't know what's working and you don't know what's not. So you start with a real scattergun approach, which means that if you're putting 10 pounds into the system, you can probably guarantee that like 90% of it is just wasted. You're chucking and burning that, that nine pounds away, but there's one pound, there's one pound that's effective. The trick is to know where to find that one pound, is to be tracking what's happening with the ads, tracking the, where, the, where the lack of constraint is so that you can then say, aha, right, if we do more of this, then we get a better result. And you'll focus on that one pound, disregard the other nine, and, and then you start to expand on that, that one pound. And here's your here's really the mantra for the day. Okay, if you can measure it, you can improve it. So you've got to figure out what it is you need to be measuring, so that those numbers can lead you to success. You're not making this up. You're not wishing to the gods. The data is going to tell you which way to go. Right? Yeah, precisely. You have to have data. This is where the majority of marketing. Tends to um, tends to really, especially online, you know, tends to really sit well. You know, that's that's having data around you, which you can then convert into information because data is just the raw stuff, and then you've got to interpret it in order to in order to turn it into information. And with things like Facebook advertising, there is a huge amount of data that comes back at you. Everything from the number of times that the ad has been seen through to the number of um, times it's been seen by one person through to how much it's costing per thousand impressions to click-through rates. I mean, the list is endless of all these metrics. You have to turn them into something, something useful. But particularly with things like Facebook and, and online advertising, there's easy ways of measuring, whereas it's so much harder if you put an advert in the post, you know, or you know, in, in the Daily Bugle, right? It's hard to know, you know, who saw it, what type of person saw it, um, whether they got to the point of picking up the phone, whether they did pick up the phone or not. It's really difficult to track those kinds of things. And therefore, that becomes yet another constraint around, around your advertising if you're doing it, because you don't necessarily have the metric there to be able to determine whether it's, it's, it's working or not. So the more we can get out of the system in terms of information, this I, mean, I know we're talking about marketing and advertising here, but actually you can apply this to pretty much any system in your business. Finance is the same, you know. The the more data yeah, you, yeah. you accumulate, the better. I mean, you you know, you must see this in 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 your business, Ed. You know, in in the, the world of of chartered financial planning, this notion of the, well, I mean, uh, just just in terms of business. Yeah, I mean, well, in terms of business anyway, I mean, we have a scorecard. So every single week, we've got a, a we've got a crucial set of numbers in terms of business activity. So there's aspects from operations in there. There's aspects from finance in there. There's aspects in there from sales and marketing in there. And so when you look at those numbers, that scorecard set, they're numbers that we're tracking. And they're like the early warning indicators, okay? They're the numbers that are going to tell us, A, if we're on track for success, or if we're seeing concerning uh, data coming through, that could mean we're going to get off track. And because they're like the early warning indicators in there as well, then it means that if you're starting to see those numbers change, you can start to 
address the issues before they become too big an issue. Now, within that sort of data set that we measure every single week, there's then a sub data set for each one. So for sales and marketing, for finance, uh, for operations, there's a whole load of other scorecards that sit underneath. But the important thing is that that headline data comes right up to the leadership meeting every single week. So you're right. And that comes back to the mantra, if you can measure it, you can improve it. And some of the things that you're measuring, you might not even have goals for. You might be collecting the data thinking, I wonder what I can do with this. But I think it's going to be useful, but I've got to figure out what that data is going to be used for. And for other data that you're collecting, you're going to have very specific absolute goals on. If I'm going to be spending this, I need to be getting back that return on investment. For every pound that I spend, how many pounds am I expecting to get back in revenue? For every pound in revenue that I get, how much of that is going to be profit? And these are all things that you can be measuring. Just thinking back to the marketing aspect of this, you've got the data coming through. You're putting your, uh, your company out there on different platforms, so Facebook, whatever else it might be, with the objective of getting people coming to your domain, the domain that you are in control of. So like the biggest hurdle surely has got to be getting them coming to your domain, to your world, to your universe. But once they land there on that landing page, Jed, what are you going to do in order to keep that funnel efficient so that they're on a journey that they don't want to get off? Well, this is the, this is the next, if you like, um, system that the prospect is going to interact with. So they've gone through the advertising system. Now they land on the website and now it's over to your website to do the selling. Um, we very often forget that actually that's what websites are there for. They're there as sales tools. People refer to them as e-commerce stores and brochures websites. But you know the reality of it is that it's a salesperson and it's there 24 hours, seven days a week, saying the same thing to people over and over again. And therein lies the constraint, because although it sounds, that's fantastic, you know, 24-7, 365 day salesperson, I'll have more of that. Actually, uh -huh. if you've got this, a salesperson that's saying the wrong thing or not saying something very well or being inefficient or is, you know, isn't presenting themselves terribly well, then actually it doesn't matter how great the system is before it in terms of advertising and bringing thousands of people to the website. If it's a poor sales experience, then you've lost them. And that's where you see yeah. the <laughs> output of one system becomes the input of another system. And if that system is fundamentally flawed, it doesn't matter what's happened further upstream, it's going to create this constraint and that's going to be a point of failure in the business. So all sorts yes, of things yeah. that we can do. To, to try and alleviate that. I mean, um, people very often um, will uh, attempt to do things like redesign their websites when they reach a point where they just feel as though they've just got tatty. So they'll make them, spruce them up with a, with a better look. But my experience is that even the best dressed salesperson, if they're talking rubbish at you, isn't going to make the sale. Right. It's not it's not mm -hmm. how how expensive their suit is. So a brilliantly, beautifully presented website, if it's still talking nonsense, isn't going to make sales. So actually, mm -hmm. really what the, 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 the thing that can be done on a website to optimize it to its maximum 
isn't isn't the look and feel of it, but is actually what you're saying. What is the offer that you are making to people? How can you engage them? And this is really this, the fundamental um, tenant of, 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 of modern marketing, value-first marketing, which is how can you help people? Because they react really well to yeah. that. Values-based marketing, right? About figuring out what it, how can you make your ideal customer's life better? And how are you going to articulate how you're going to make their life better succinctly and effectively on that page that they've just landed on so that they feel that they've got to get more of you? Yeah. Precisely. And how are you going to get them to get more of you? What's the, what's the process then? Okay, so you, you've, you've got a wonderful set of words. The website looks great, but it also reads great as well. So you've hooked them. You've said the right thing to them in the right way. You've not given them too much. You've not given them too little. This is where the skill and judgment comes in because your ideal customer within your business could be very different to a competitor of yours ideal customer. You can be in the same industry, but actually be wanting completely different customers. So you're speaking in the right way to the type of customer that you want. But how do you then get them to engage so that they don't just go, hey, that was really good. Oh, and I've closed the website down and I've gone somewhere else now. How do you get them to either hang around or actually engage with you? Well, there are all sorts of different ways in which you, you can do, in do this. It does depend on your marketing objective as well or your advertising objective. You know, what are you trying to get your, your prospect to do? Do you want them to, to call you? Do you want them to leave you with their email address? Do you want them to come in as a straightforward inquiry? Do you want them to attend a webinar? Lots of different advertising objectives. So it goes back to what we were saying before about, you know, you've got to know exactly what you're trying to achieve out of your system in order to be able to optimize it. But let's take, let's take an example of a consultative cell. So one that isn't e-commerce, but is something which is more, more complicated and requires somebody to invest more time. It could be because the, it's, it's a high ticket item, or it could be just because uh, it's something which is perhaps technical. And you can't just go to the mm -hmm. website, read through, and then say, okay, yeah, great. I'll have one of those 30,000-pound widgets that does that thing for my factory. You've got to be a bit more engaged. Well, one of the ways in which you can, you can keep people and engage them is by giving them something which will genuinely help them. So take a really simple, basic idea, right? If you were a garage, then you could give something away which was just you know, um, simple advice on how to maintain your car. And people could sign up for that on the website. They leave their email address. They receive uh, a, a PDF. So kind of ID. like, a, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, a top 10 tips for keeping your car safe this winter, whatever it might be, kind of like, there's the value. We know you're worried about this. And here's some really helpful information for you along the way. Dead on. And in exchange for that, you are they are giving up your their email address and you are giving them something of value then what happens is that the sale now can continue that sales process continues with emails so again now we've we've stitched in a, a third element if you like into the into the process we've got the advertising we've got the website interaction and now we've got an email marketing system because once you've got their email address you just email them every so often to offer more help um, so, you know, here's how to change the oil in your car. Here's how to change the brakes. You know, here's how to drive safely. You know, uh, great one. Um, 
you know, was what you just said about about winter. You know, how to how to how to keep your your car going on. Yeah, because one of the frustrations is that yeah, a company seems you know, a company would get my email address and maybe they did offer a little bit of value on their page and I got something out of it, but then all I get is just emails about however much off this or whatever percentage off that, and it's just like, hey, I'm I'm being sold to now, and I'm I don't really know enough about you as a company and I've not really had the opportunity to get acquainted with you. And now I just feel like I'm being sold to, I'm not getting any more value. So I'm not going to click on these emails. Whereas if you were to say, Hey, we're a great company. We've already given you something for free that we know you found valuable. And because you have found that valuable, because you clicked for that value in the first place, that PDF, that download, we're going to give you another five or six. We're going to drip feed you. We're going to tease you. Here's a little bit more help. Here's a little bit of something else that's going to be useful. So at the point that we actually start to say, hey, you haven't contacted us yet and actually given us any money, you haven't bought anything from us. Well, you've seen enough of us to kind of feel that you like us, which surely at that point means you're going to be more receptive to actually becoming a customer and parting with your cash. Demonstration of expertise and increase in confidence. You know, those are the things which you just described there. And that makes all the difference. Mm The constraints in things like email marketing are how many people open your email because you might have a thousand people sign up, but maybe only two or 300 of them actually open an email. That seems weird, right? To suggest that an email is going to come into someone's account, but not, not get read or opened, but actually people filter their emails really early on in their inbox so they don't open the email at all. They just read the subject line. And sometimes you see in some, in some uh, email systems, it will give you the first line of, of, their, of their email. And they'll just delete it. So you haven't even got to the point where your message has been absorbed yet. It, all they've done is made a judgment on whether they want to see it or not on the basis of the subject line. So the constraint then is how many people open my email and the solution, if, it's, if you're not getting the kind of numbers that you want, is strangely, adjust the subject line, split test different subject lines. So you might send out an, an email which says, hey, we've got a great winter offer going on here. But the subject line could be things like 20% um, off, or it could be, um, wow, look at this winter offer. <laughs> you know, Which of these two subject lines is going to work better? Who knows? Don't know. So we'll split test the two, see which one works. And then you, you have, you have a, a means by which you can start to reduce the constraint around open. But then there's another constraint, and that is once someone's actually opened the email, you'll typically want them to do something. And that will be very often either pick up the phone and speak to you or click on a link and go to the website where they can continue the purchasing journey. So that's another constraint. Mm -hmm. like, so how can we make that link clearer, bigger, better, easier to follow? So... Again, you know, we're, we're relying on the numbers to tell us this. We're always, as, as marketers or as business people, we're always interested in more, right, you know, as the song goes. You know, that's what we fundamentally want, more. So we want as much efficiency out of the system as possible. We want to send out a 1,000 emails and we want a 1,000 people to open them, read them, click on the link and go there. Now, it just never happens. There is always an attrition rate because humans... <laughs> <laughs> and just not that predictable, dang it. But if we are aware of these numbers and we can apply a bit of critical thinking to them, then we can do something about it. So that 
that mm -hmm. means that you end up overall with a far more efficient system. And the key, the, the, the key sort of takeaway in this is, is to start at the top of the funnel because very often people will, uh, will look at the systems and say, oh, well, the most inefficient system is that um, people aren't clicking on the link. And that, mm -hmm. that might be the case, that maybe only 10% of people are clicking on the link. So you naturally think, well, hey, that's what I've got to do to improve it. But if you go further back upstream, I remember we talked about there's a 1,000 mm -hmm. people hitting our advert, but actually only 100 people getting through to the website. Well, yep. if we optimize the advertising, then we're going to end up with, let's say, three or 400 people hitting the website then that magnifies the effect all the way down the funnel and increases the efficiency of, of, of the overall results that we're getting. So you always start kind of at the top of the funnel where the, where the, the worst offender is. Beautifully. Oh, there we go. We've just come full circle right back to the top of the funnel again. So we can work on marginal gains and we can work on efficiencies as we work our way down the funnel. But actually by addressing the big issue right at the very, very top. We're magnifying those gains that we can then make as we work our way down through the tunnel multiples of times. Yes, precisely. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, the, you know, the marginal gains, I mean, that's, that's something which I think a lot of us are familiar with from the Olympics, aren't we? Because that's what they, they did on the, uh, uh, the Olympic biking team, didn't they? Made very small. Absolutely. Yep. David Brailsford kind of bought that to the masses. I mean, hey, look, business knew about marginal gains, but he's used it in a way that other teams haven't. And as a result, we became kind of infatuated, if you like, with how we could rise to such success. And it, it comes right back around, Jed. It comes back to process. It comes back to having a plan, having a goal, having a process, and being able to methodically work your way through it. I mean, effectively, right? There was a funnel for British cycling. There were some big, fat, easy wins right at the top of the funnel. And then they just carried on working their way down. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, yeah. and you can, you know, you, 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 could, you could see this differently because you could say, well, I can, I can, uh, I can create a more efficient gearing system on my push bike or um, I can make it lighter. Um, but you could equally say, well, I'll tell you what, what if I strap, uh, you know, a 100cc engine to it? <laughs> that's going to help me a lot more. Well, yeah, or if you're Lance Armstrong, let's just try a few blood transfusions and uh, some EPO <laughs> at the same time. I mean, there's a whole load of places you could go, but, you know, you start with the fact that your bike's got round wheels instead of square wheels, right? So there are certain things that you can do to kind of actually get started. But when you get to the point that, well, hang on a minute, if we change the, um, uh, the, the, the cycling clothes that we're wearing and we go for this particular type of fabric, that cuts down our resistance through the air. So we gain whatever percentage. If we change the angle of the tubing on the bike a little, we get another couple of percentage of, uh, of sort of, of gains through from that. But actually, it was a book reading um, G's uh, biography, uh, going back, Grant Thomas. And, and he was saying, whereas the Italians look to the past with their pasta, we look forward to the future with rice. Because they found that rice was a more efficient way of being able to get carbs into the body and more easily digested and processed than pasta. But most cycling teams were still eating pasta, but they did the research and found that rice was actually a better way of getting fuel into the body. I mean, who would have thought?
These are the kind of gains that you get when you've got a business that looks at every single aspect of what it is they do and then puts it under the microscope and says, how can we do it better? That's really interesting. I did not know that, but that is fascinating. And that's true. We've just talked about, about marketing, but there are lots of different ways in which you can see constraints being applied. For example, with equipment. I mean, currently, if you have... PPE and your and uh, your uh, your business is, is is its function is contingent on you having PPE, then that becomes a major constraint for you if you don't have it or if you can't source it, uh, if you can't source hand sanitizer. So there are all, that's that's another example. Just having having the right equipment or having better equipment, more efficient equipment. I'll give give you an example. Right. Um, <laughs> I have two monitors and I've been working off two monitors now for the better part of 15 years. After I, um, after I listened to a, um, a lecture by the very brilliant Randy Pausch, who, who really did a most fantastic lecture on time management. And he, and he, he said, if you haven't got two monitors, get two monitors, your efficiency on a computer will increase by about 33%. And I, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. do you know what? I thought about it. I should do it. So I went and did it. And guess what? He was right. I had a 33% increase in my <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. And now going back to working on my laptop, as sometimes I have to, is just so painful. You know, it's like, where's my second screen? My mouse keeps veering off to the corners looking for it. But and <laughs> a simple thing like that, just having the right equipment. And it doesn't seem like it's important. You know, why would you need two screens? You've got one already. But being able to have the right equipment and seeing that as a potential way of optimizing something in your business and looking a little bit less um, in, a, in a tunnel way, but more obliquely at, at business and seeing what, what can be improved, even if it's complete, seems like completely crazy, is, is very much mm-hmm. worthwhile. And it's the reason why we employ uh, marketeers, why we employ accountants, why we employ um, in insurance people, it's because actually we could probably do it ourselves, but it's more efficient for us to outsource it. So when it comes to people, mm-hmm. you know, we outsource our, our admin, we outsource our, you know, our finances because it's easier than actually us trying to understand that and do it ourselves. And that's a natural oh, thing. Isn't it just? Yeah. I mean, this this is this is really the epitome of business, okay? Is that how many business owners are spending their time doing things that they're no good at, that they have no interest in, but it just kind of like landed at their feet. And this is where you've got to delegate to elevate and you've got to really figure out what is your unique ability? What is it that you are better doing than anybody else? And what's all the other stuff that you really need to pass on to somebody else who's not just going to, A, do it better than you, but B, actually enjoy doing it at the same time. And this is where the concept of who, not how, is so, so important. Just referring back to, uh, to, to Dan Sullivan, just been reading his book, Who, Not How. And this, when you get the right who's around you, for example, your marketing strategy, okay, unless you are, unless you are well experienced and qualified and know what you're doing at the cutting edge of marketing because it changes so quickly, you need a who. It's exactly the same in terms of the financial management for the business. Are you engaging the right services from your accountant? Are they your who? What about your financial plan for life? Are you a DIYer trying to do it yourself? 
Or are you going to delegate that to a who? Because once those who's know what your goals are and what it is that you really want to achieve, not only that, your who's know what success actually looks and feels like to you as the business owner, then they're going to go out and do a great job for you because you are going to keep them on task because they know what success looks and feels like. So as long as you can get that communicated, get yourself surrounded by who's that want to share that vision and who want to engage with you. Don't be the DIYer, be the delegator. Absolutely. Every single time, be the delegator, because there is so much more that, that you can do. That was beautifully put, Ed. That really was. And this um, It's about um, spending time on your business and succeeding, not spending your time in places where you don't succeed. So focus on your unique ability, stay awesome at what you're awesome at, and get others to do the rest. Precisely. This is about creating the self-milking cow. Right. If you find yourself milking the cow, then something has gone wrong with the process. Other people should be milking the cow for you. <laughs> or, or, or ideally, the cow is milking itself. Right? That's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the golden kind of egg of this. And that's where... Hey, Jed, something... Jed. And not only, uh, not only is the cow milking itself, right? it is having a whale of a time doing it as well. Like You've never seen a happier cow. <laughs> that's what, and we need more of that. We need more self-milking happy cows. And that, <laughs> uh, I think we should probably uh, we should probably end on that massively surreal note. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a great time to wrap up the episode today. And just thinking about what we're going to be talking about next time. And this kind of continues with the efficiencies and being smart in business as well, because we really want you to. I I want to dive in to being able to take a feature of a product and then flip it. How can you get great outcomes more than one time around from the same thing? How can you make simple additions to what you already do to capture more revenue and more profit? Sounds good. This is going to be a good one next, next time. We've got a couple of weeks. We're going to do this in a couple of weeks and, and we'll talk about flip and pivot, which um, isn't, sounds ruder than it, than it should do really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> flipping and pivoting I'm, I'm, I'm ready i'm ready if you are <laughs> it's a date okay then all right folks well thank you very much for listening in we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and this uh, this this episode of mindset marketing money do please subscribe and and stick with us and uh, we've got another exciting episode coming up for you very soon so from me jed wiley it's been a pleasure thank you so much and we'll see you again soon and from me ed marshall see you again soon cheers jed Bye now.